And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with my good friend, Dr. Bear Paul Lando, coming to you live and direct from the great state of Jefferson, where freedom still reigns supreme. People often ask, Bear, what is Jefferson? What are you talking about? There's no state of Jefferson on the map. Well, it is a, it is a statement I make because it is a, a state of mind here that we have. Uh, going back to a 70s uh, succession movement in NorCal and Southern Oregon, uh, libertarian movement, and we still embody that spirit today on the land here at the AV Gardens and uh, on the Smith River, and so blessed to be here on this magical land. Uh, and we want to thank all of you out there for listening to us. You can find out more about us at alphavedic.com, A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C.com. One point, we got the end of the uh, and I'm just going to say here because I haven't had any issues with saying it on here, but the end of COVID uh, is coming up on uh, Monday. Uh, excuse me, this Sunday, the free replay week, uh, the end of COVID.com. So check that out. You have 11 days to catch up. Uh, if you missed on the first go round, over 90 plus sessions breaking down uh, all the real science and facts and figures around um, the show that was uh, happening in 2020. Bear Lando's featured in about I don't know five of those six of those uh, sessions uh really fantastic actually a couple of my favorites uh were bear was on with like amanda volmer that was an amazing one uh also the one with the biggelson's brother if you haven't caught that one uh was an amazing session so go check that out the end of covid Dot com and uh, the alphabetic new site is just coming around the corner here. We're just tweaking final things, so keep an eye out for that. Very excited for our new community platform to be launching where we can all stay connected and out of the Borg system of the centralized technocrat uh, social systems. So, very excited about that. We put a lot of work into that, and thanks for our patience as that comes out. Uh, Bear, any notes before we welcome our guest uh, with an introduction? Um, no, just an addendum to your opening comments. You know, Jefferson is more of a heart-centric phenomena for us up here. Um, you know, we have a different rural lifestyle, and even people that live in towns, uh, this area has been less of metropolitan areas with everything that's going on today. And I think because of that, there seems to be a commonality, no matter how many how much people know in the details of what's going on and that we all agree that um, what's going on out there is not authentic. And we try to uh, distance ourselves by creating our own lives, making our own decisions, and also defaulting to the uh, precepts of the founding forefathers, uh, especially my favorite out of the whole bunch, which was Thomas Jefferson, uh, you know, quite a, quite a, a, a thinker and uh, boy we need more of those kind of folks these days so yeah jefferson is alive and well in our hearts in this in this uh area up here and um you know we're hoping to spread it to the rest of the country nick uh yeah it's just so good to see you here and thank you for being with us i'm gonna let mike go ahead and do a little introduction here and then we'll get rolling here sounds good yeah, we're here today with uh, EMF guy, Nick Pino, uh, and it's clear the science is blindingly clear. Your cell phone is not safe. Neither are your Wi-Fi router, so-called smart Bluetooth-enabled devices or wearables, cell phone towers, or any wireless technology for that matter. The non-ionizing radiation they emit is indeed unsafe. 
If you're curious why tech companies have been able to distribute unsafe devices in the hands of billions of people, the Non-Tinfoil Guide to EMFs by Nicholas Pino takes a deep dive into the shadows of these noxious microwave technologies presently wreaking havoc on the health and well-being of every life form without exception. Quote, electromagnetic fields, EMF refers to electromagnetic pollution caused by microwave technologies. Uh, Nick Pinot, uh, author and passionate advocate for safe technologies, has been publishing his writings on health and topics he's passionate about for more than 10 years. With a professional background in communications, copywriting, and journalism, Nick has been raising awareness around the EMF problem on well over 100 combined podcasts, Facebook Lives, radio shows, TV shows, and stages all around the world. Quote, my biggest goal is to incentivize tech companies, governments, regulators, and consumers alike to demand and develop technologies that are supporting the life of humans, animals, and the planet. Nick's entire website, the EMF Guy, is dedicated to helping you use technology in a way that's safe and mindful. You can also join Nick to explore the broader discussion on technology and health by listening to the Smarter Tech podcast published weekly, or go deeper and learn the science behind EMFs and how to protect yourself through his book and courses. Uh, he's uh, also, Nick, I believe you have a summit coming up again, if I'm not correct, uh, that's coming up shortly here, I think uh, early next year. And you're very active in the summit space and education space around this topic, known as a world-renowned expert on this. We're excited to have you on today. Uh, and I definitely have some questions there. Uh, an important topic, it seems to come up a lot in our chats, especially uh, around um, topics related to the COVIDian cult show that happened in 2020. <laughs> And is Bear frozen? He's looks like he's contemplating. Uh, he may be <laughs> frozen here. <laughs> I'll keep going until we get Bear back. He might have to reset his um, his Wi-Fi router. That or he is just trolling us right now, Nick. <laughs> yeah, or or surprisingly steady in his position. Yeah. Maybe meditating. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, you know, it's he's there. There he is. I, I'm back. Sorry, I had to switch modems. Uh, the Elon was dropping me there, so I had to go to my other one. Uh, so sorry, I missed a few of the words. I know you were just getting through the intro there. Uh, am I on now, Mike? Yeah, I was just leaving it off that um, the EMF topic has come up a lot in relation to uh, our discussions around the show that happened in 2020, especially, and some of the uh, ill health effects people were experiencing. And uh, we, I think we have questions around that still, right? So I was just kind of throwing it over to Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So Nick, first off, thanks again. And, uh, just, you know, amazing work. Uh, I've been following a little bit since, you know, we started communicating to get you on the show here. So, uh, thank you so much for your efforts. And this is such an important topic. You know, there's so many things affecting people's health these days. And that's my field is, uh, you know, being concerned about the the health and welfare of others. And over the years, uh, you know, when you practice functional medicine and you see a lot of people, you can really start to notice trends and patterns in the people. And I used to see a lot of folks for many years. And uh, there's always uh, kind of an escalation of certain kinds of conditions in people. 
And then when you uh, correlate that, we always uh, did I did I lose you guys? Uh, you Mike? you left you kind of slowed down going into escalations. Okay, sorry, it shouldn't drop me anymore. So yeah, there's always uh, you know I was able to observe escalations in conditions in people's body, even the bodies, even a lot of things that were once considered rare that would have a high correlation with certain events going on in a larger population. A lot of those over the years have had to do with medical procedures, uh, medical procedures that escalated uh, in a different way, you know, over the last couple of years. Uh, forgive us here, we still use a little bit of code so that we can stay on, um, on this platform here. Um, and and then also uh, a great connection uh, that you can discern with people's conditions and the rollout of different technologies, you know, microwave technologies. And any scientist and medical doctors are supposed to be scientists. Um, you sit back and you observe, okay, if this is happening now, what happened between now and back when those things didn't happen and things become very obvious and and your work really helps people like myself to you know just get the information to confirm what we think we're observing and uh we've had a lot of other folks on our uh past episodes here that have uh you know written books on the subject and tackle all the different facets of microwave technologies, uh, sometimes going into the more the conspiratorial aspect as far as, you know, what's behind all this, uh, some of the more from health standpoint. So what I'd like to do, maybe if we could start off, tell your audience how you, you have a great background as a journalist and researcher, um, but if you could maybe share with our audience how you got into this and why you felt that it was so important that you put the efforts that you put into this subject. And uh, so I'll just let you take it from there. And then we just have a discussion and Mike and I both have some questions. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this talk. And thank you again for being with us. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. You know, I started around this topic in 2016, diving into it more seriously. But I had read a few books and heard a little bit about cell phone dangers here and there, but I did not take it seriously until 2015, 2016, when I started reading a series of books. And prior to that, I was very focused on our food supply, toxins in food. Um, I was learning about glyphosate, in our food, heavy metal contamination and whey protein and so many different aspects that made me have a second look about anything I buy at the grocery store. Really was a, an initial shock for me when I got into certain documentaries like Food Inc. and these kind of early documentaries about our food supply and big agro. In uh, probably before 2010, I started really being shocked that, oh my God, no one is uh, looking out for us that much. You know, everyone is telling us everything is safe. And yet here I am um, just with a background in communications and very easily I could see that tap water is likely not safe in most cities, if not all. And it, it doesn't take a degree to figure that out. You just look at Flint, Michigan. And then after that, there were reports showing dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of cities in the US that had worse levels of lead in the water, but no action was taken. So it's really a kind of media circus around these issues where 
the solutions that are put in place are are rarely um, what will really fix the issue. The issue could be fixed at the municipal level, or you tell everyone get filters, and then you, I don't know, you give them a subsidy. If you're in, at least if you're in Quebec, the government will probably step in and say, you know, we're going to give you 500 bucks of reimbursement if you put a filter on. But instead, it's it's a semi solution. We're going to uh, put a few people in jail in Flint, and then then what? You know, nothing is done. So I was always frustrated with regulatory agencies, which I realized were very prone to regulatory capture, uh, revolving door policies where the regulators became, uh, you know, heads of Monsanto, and then ten years later they rebecame again the regular the regulator, which made simply no sense in my mind. So I dove into it with. Uh, an open mind. And I was very, um, I, I, I guess I became a little bit blase about our current state of affairs in in regulations. Even in Canada, it's not better. We just help Canada is basically parroting whatever the US is doing on many fronts. So we're really lacking a sort of uh, the, the right values to put people before profits overall and to say you know corporations can thrive and make profit but not at the cost of human health or the environment and that's not what's happening uh, so this this overarching theme was really strong in my life and then i i, I really caught onto the issue of electromagnetic fields when when i, I read a series of books um, dr deborah davis disconnect i read uh, Anne louise gittleman's book uh, there's basically all of them to be honest everything i could buy i bought off of amazon and i ended up realizing well Yes, tap water is a problem, but in certain parts of the world, they have safe water. Let's say they have like artesian well or spring water. With cell phones, it's everyone. We're talking about, I was at the same time, I was very interested about futurism. Somehow I had this, this one year where I was following uh, futurists like Peter Diamandis and uh uh, Ray Kurzweil, and it's it's kind of weird thinking about it now, but I, I really didn't know better. And some of them have, let's say, a, a transhumanist uh, view of the world, where if humans get cancer, let's uh, modify humans so that way we don't get cancer anymore. Instead of if humans get cancer, the environment is sick, therefore we need to find the causes, heal the planet, heal humans, which resonated that 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 second. Um, the opposite of transhumanist um, angle is really what I resonated with. So eventually I I stopped following them, but I realized that uh, what they helped me see is how fast things were evolving. They were talking about the Internet of Things, about the upcoming 5G, even in 2015, 2016. Some people were talking about these developments, new telecommunication technologies, stronger Wi-Fi, wearable tech, and... Um, a few years ahead of most people, I was aware of these things. And I said, well, I sure hope that there's safety testing around these, right? And then I realized through reading the books that the safety testing was completely bogus. It's uh, a mannequin head, six to 30 minute exposure. The size of the head is the equivalent of the average head of a military man that's six foot two 220 pounds of muscle, which was the 
top 1% of military recruits in the somewhere 1980s or 1990s. So even among military personnel, it wasn't even reflective of the average size of the head. But now I'm thinking about children that have cell phones, right? And in in certain, um, the the American um, uh, Academy for Pediatrics published a survey and uh, I think it's almost 10 years old now, which is uh, maddening. It's It was in Philadelphia, a poor neighborhood in Philadelphia, and 75% of children had their own cell phone. 75% of children. And I'm talking about, get this, four year, years of age. Four years. I have a five-year-old, and I have a hard time understanding these, but if you look at it, the anthropological reasons behind that is probably for safety. You're in a poor neighborhood. There's crime. There's people that you don't know what you're going to do to your chi- to your child. You hand them a cell phone. If you have trouble, call me. That makes sense. But parents don't know that these things were never meant to be used by children, according to the safety testing. And then, of course, the testing is done six to 30 minutes. So what happens if you surpass 30 minutes, <laughs> right? That's the question. And the question is, well, the, the answer is we we have zero indication of safety beyond this, this really short-term thinking and short-term testing. So looking at the topic, I said, wow, there's so much to tackle there, but it's so complicated that I have a headache looking at it. I'm in constant stress around the situation. I see cell phone towers. I start freaking out. And it was uh, two years of uh, inner turmoil for me to kind of make sense of the topic and then become calm again. You know, you kind of freak out and then eventually you master the topic and you say, okay, well, what can I do about the towers, right? So uh, I can talk about it. We can measure, we can do so many things, but what is the priority for people? How can I better communicate this? And this was really led to me writing the book and uh, along with my wife, who um, was part of my business at the time, and she was really critical of everything that I was sending her away. She said, it's too complicated. No one's going to understand that. I don't understand any of it. And I said, my God, this is so technical. There's electrical engineering in, in there. There's biophysics. There's health policy. There's communication of science. There's there's so many subtopics to try to understand the history of EMFs and then especially give people the answer, what should I do? Because a lot of people that I met said, Nick, I know that EMF is bad. What should I do? I don't care about all your technicalities and voltage-gated calcium channels and mitochondrial dysfunction and all these these this lingo they didn't want to get into the biophysics they wanted solutions so this is where i started connecting with people that had the solutions uh, whether it's scientists or emf mitigation specialists that surveyed people's homes and looked at okay what are the common sources how can we reduce these sources and then also doctors specialized in environmental medicine that treat patients that are more sensitive. So therefore, they need more attention. They need to lower the electromagnetic pollution in their home further than the average lay person. Same thing could be true for mold illness. If you're sick with mold, you have to clean up your home completely. Your neighbor is not sick with mold. He has a moldy basement, doesn't care about it, won't get symptom, and will live until 98. Uh, God bless him. But 
it's not the same for every person. So there's also this aspect that I, I thought was urgent to communicate and also brought me a lot of uh, personal suffering looking at, oh my God, there's this segment of the population that is so sensitive, they cannot live in Montreal like I do. And that's a, a social injustice. So it also spoke to my heart. Okay, well, how can we help these people? How can we have these conditions diagnosed? But again, it sh we should fit the, fix the environment and not fix the people. So it's a huge thing. And electrosensitivity is another angle on this. So that's why I focus my, my next summit is going to be in April uh, 2024. It's going to be solely focused on electrosensitivity. And I had my fair share of, different um, uh, encounters that really changed my life with electrosensitive individuals. I um, interviewed Mar Maria August, uh, who decided to take her life a few months after my interview that I did with her because she was suffering so much that basically there was no reason to live. And she was very Zen about it. She she practiced, um, if I recall correctly, Zen Buddhism. And she was basically saying, you know, I've had enough of this time on this earth and uh god bl god bless you all see ya but it was a hard thing for me to process personally looking because when i talked to her she she couldn't stand a cell phone at several feet you know this kind of sensitivity where she could break into epilepsy epileptic seizures if she were was exposed to certain sources these people are fleeing in the woods, completely disconnected from today's society. And we, the extent of the problem is uh, estimated by scientists, but we don't survey these people. We don't go there. We don't find them. A lot of people live off the grid. They live in rural communities. Some of them are in uh, West Virginia. Uh, I think it's uh, Bur Burbanks, uh, the radio silence zone, or similar radio silence zones where there are, um, let's say, astronomers that work there. There has to be a reason because all the other spots are taken by cell, cell towers. And now, looking, that's 2017, I couldn't stop. The thing is, I couldn't stop because 5G was rolling out and that took several years. I was talking about it and saying we should probably oppose 5G, still rolled out. Most people didn't care, but there was a, a big movement that built uh, a big grassroots movement. So I have to salute everyone that participated. But the reality is very quickly, a lot of people changed their tones and said, well, if 5G is rolled out and now they're starting to develop 6G in Finland, they started thinking about it in 2018 and 5G was barely rolled out. You're thinking about the next Gs because it's big business. It's the future of tech. So what are we missing here? A lot of people moved towards let's develop safer technologies. What does that look like? wired computers, wired everything rather than wireless, moving cell phone towers away from right next to people's bedrooms, the things that are could immediately do a difference in people's lives and that we know are dangerous usage of this tech. So I, I let's say, joined this movement a little bit more towards safe tech and yes, opposing future wireless technologies that are as at, just as unsafe as the previous ones, but also moving towards, okay, what are solutions that we could apply? And 
to this day, I, I still cannot stop because now we're talking about 6G satellites, Internet of Things and this and that. There's always new things uh, going on. And I feel like especially 2023 was a, a pivotal year where a lot of mainstream scientists have switched sides. There's this wind of change that is very special for the first time in my career working working on this for nearly seven years uh it's uh it's very special and now it motivates me to just continue for another 10 20 or maybe 60 years who who knows we're we're trying to change things so it will take a while so you're suggesting that even in the uh, administrative branches of government, people are starting to maybe change their mind and think about the consequences of all this uh, in a positive way? At the FCC, it's rough. Uh, the Federal Communication Commission is uh, basically, they're, they're the ones setting the, the MF safety guidelines. And for the moment, it's pure denial and complete ca regulatory capture. In fact, one of the heads of the FCC, Tom Wheeler, before he was at the FTC, was at the CTIA. That's the, the lobbying group for the telecoms. And while he was at the CTIA, he said in a, in a public discourse, he said, I'm going to join the FCC and destroy it from the inside out. And he did. Mm. So basically, wow. he, he successfully did it. A few people did that also with Monsanto and maybe the, I don't know if it's with the EPA or different, you know, environmental uh, agencies that are supposed to slap their wrist and say, no, you cannot put more glyphosate in, on, in our food because it's so unsafe. Well, we're going to just capture the agency, destroy the agency, and then keep it there as if it does something, but it's dead. I, I interviewed uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. two times, and he really said that, yes, we talk about regular, regulatory capture with NIH and FDA and all of these, but FCC is some is kind of the premier example of regulatory capture. It's just stunning. So this is what yeah. we have to fight against. And in his mind, uh, lately I interviewed him, is going to be part of the 2024 summit. And he said, I said, okay, well, what do we do? Do we create a second FCC and destroy the first one? He said, no, it's all about who works at the FCC. So it's really people who had ties, even FC, it has been found and it caused a little bit of controversy, barely anything. When two years ago, it was shown that uh, heads of the FCC had stock in the telecoms, <laughs> direct stock. I mean, it's not even hidden, but it was kind of undisclosed. So it caused a little bit of stir and maybe they're changing rules now, but it's, it, it's all a big party of... Um, if you ask them, is it is it your responsibility to take care about people's health? They say, no, we are a frequency agency and our existence is just to make sure that the telecoms can buy different frequency bands and not step over each other's toes. So we're more like a help to telecoms. But then you ask them a second time, um, let's say in court, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's kind of us that's responsible for health. So they played this kind of double game where in, in reality at the FCC, you look at it, you say, OK, who's a medical doctor or who has the expertise to look at biophysics of EMFs? Zero people. They don't they, they don't know or they don't care or they don't believe. And there's this this big um, paradigm among engineers, telecom workers, 
CEOs that there's no effect. And what they say is, if a cell phone, a Wi-Fi router, a smart meter, a satellite cannot overheat your tissue, it is safe. They say this is non-ionizing radiation. And when you overheat tissue, there's a problem. It causes kind of an internal fever. It, it will heat you from the inside out. And we know that if um, they, they kind of um, determined in the safety studies that if you overheat the brain by one degree Celsius, it would be too much or something like that. But this is this is all bogus. These effects that we're talking about, including cancer, including um, uh, loss of sleep, they're not caused by heating. They're caused by a very subtle effect at the cellular level that leads to oxidative stress and a bunch of other things, including inflammation. So they're playing a game where some people are kind of self-perpetuating this, this meme in the industry that, oh no, it's only about heating because if they accept that there are these non-thermal effects, then we're in deep trouble. It opens a big Pandora's box of admittance of harm. But you know, it, it doesn't even matter because in the meantime, uh, attorneys are moving forward. There's massive lawsuits around the world. There's a lot of action. Just in, in uh, D.C., there's tens and tens and tens, if not over 100 now, different law separate lawsuits against telecoms over brain cancer alone. And around the world, there are some cases that have been won, including in Italy in the last few years. And now, I don't know if you guys probably saw this around, but the iPhone 12 has been banned for, for sale in France. Why was that? Well, a lot of people, I'd say 99.9% .9 of all news outlets, including Alternative, that I saw report on this are missing the whole story. The iPhone 12, yes, it, it was tested Basically, normally it is tested with separation. So the, the trick that the telecoms do to make sure that they can emit as much radiation as possible, because that's good for connectivity. They don't they don't have personal a personal thought about, oh, let's do the minimum to avoid damage because they always say, no, no, it's it's non-term, it's you know, it won't overheat you. So it's anything goes. So normally it's tested five to 15 millimeters from the body when they use it on the mannequin head. But the thing is people don't use it at five millimeters. They use it at zero millimeters, whether it's on the head, in the pocket, or in the sports bra, in the shirt pocket. I see all sorts of uses that are right next to the body, zero to one to two millimeters. Well, the problem is the difference between five millimeter separation and zero is a tremendous difference because exponentially speaking, you will increase radiation as you move closer to the body. So a lot of people don't think, oh, okay, what's the difference really? Well, it can essentially double the radiation within 15 millimeter range. So what happens is that in 2016, PhoneGate Alert, which is the organization launched by Dr. Marc Arazi from France, and they found that their own government, the French government, the ANFR, which is the FCC equivalent uh, in France, found that nine out of 10 phones, when tested at zero millimeters, failed the safety test. In FCC equivalent, if you take those French phones, it was one phone in particular, I cannot recall the model, but it's something that's not even sold, might, might have been iPhone 6 or 7, 
went 11-fold past the limit. The limit is two. They went something like 22. So it's not a small a small thing. It is basically 90% of phones needed to be recalled or updated. That was 2016. Now, based on that and all the controversy among the years, and Dr. Arazi and PhoneGate Alert have been just blasting the French government and trying to make things happen. It took all these years for them to kind of look at the iPhone 12 out of everything and realize, oh, it's surpassing. And now, oh, now the French government is looking all good. Like, we're going to tell telecoms how it's done. No, they haven't taken action. The reality is just with the broken regulations we already have, the indications are that in Canada, 99% of phones are not compliant. That's the indications we have. We haven't confirmed or denied that, but that's from the own Health Canada testing. And we found that, uh, or we found the activists that have looked at it, thank God, from uh, Canadians for Safe Technology, have found that all of them are tested as a separation still. So there are all, all sorts of games, all sorts of tricks. And when people think, yay, let's celebrate, the iPhone 12 has been removed from the market in France, this means the 12 is unsafe. Guys, they're all unsafe. That's the thing. That's almost the smokescreen in a sense where all phones are go over the limit just because of how we use them. It's just silly. People use them for 12 hours per day. Children use them. Our safety limits are not even adapted to children. We know from scientific studies that children will absorb multiple times more radiation in certain parts of their body, including their uh, spinal cord, the eyes, the brain. It is a big concern. So that's- What about also, Nick, what about the reproductive organs uh, when they have iPads on their laps at school all day and it's just pointed right at the female reproductive organs especially? A hundred percent. You know, I saw an image from uh, an organization that is great called uh, EH Trust, the Environmental Health Trust. They did a simulation. I wanted to include that in my book, but couldn't because I didn't have the rights to the image. But they did a simulation trying to find, it was just a man exposed to, I think, either a phone or a laptop. And it said in big, and that's a scientific thing but i always you know i'm i'm a guy that loves humor i laugh all the time especially with my wife so it said you know male genitalia is the most overexposed place in the body and basically it was a heat map and you saw the male genitalia light like a christmas tree and if you show that to man i mean it's going to at least startle them a little bit so i always found that so funny and also depressing because it, it means, my God, we're getting a lot of exposure in this area. And yes, there are big risks and and so much science on for male fertility. And for women, a little bit less science because it's more costly to study. Um, the, the sperm count studies, sperm motility, and, and different um, characteristics of sperm are super cheap, very easy to reproduce results, and it's, it's easy science. When you study the female reproductive organs, it's way more costly. So that explains the disparity, or maybe it's something about patriarchal idea. I have no idea, but oh. the reality is we have more data on men, but on women, it's more concerning in a sense because they get one set of eggs for life. And then 
even in embryos, they already have their eggs for life. So if they're affected prenatally, it's even more concerning for what's going to be their offspring. There is a set of large epidemiological studies. Um, I think there are six of them in the last decade that have confirmed a strong link between maternal cell phone use and then the risk of their children once they're born uh, having food intolerances or allergies or ADD, ADHD behavior. So um, this led uh, researchers that are very, very uh, mainstream, such as uh, Dr. Yu Taylor from Yale, say, my God, this is extremely concerning. He had been doing rat studies, but then on top of that, we have human data. And he said, uh, pregnant women should urgently reduce exposure. Where do you see that on the packaging, right? So that's one thing, concern from mainstream scientists or the data, that's one thing. Does it make it to public awareness? That's the second thing. And then does it make it to policy and forcing cell phone manufacturers to actually do something about their phone to reduce exposure? That's a third level. And so far, we're not even in the place where governments are telling their citizens to lower exposure, even as a preventative measure. So we're it's, it's a long timeline. Can I ask one question? Yeah. Now, so is is one question? Is this is the radiation issue with the phones? Is it something to do? Because I know like Apple made a statement that they were able to fix the iPhone 12 with a software update, which is pretty yep. ridiculous. Is it have to do with like uh, the actual functionality of the, the the core functionality of the phone that they can limit and make it more safe, and that they're just not doing that because for whatever reason, or is it no matter what? This technology is unsafe no matter how good-willing and good-minded these companies propose to be. This I'd, is. I'd also like to yep. go ahead, Nick, but when you're done, I'd like to add a little perspective to all of this. Yeah, perfect. Um, so the answer is we don't know what is the safe level of EMF. All we know is there are indications that biological effects are happening at levels that are immensely lower than our EMF safety limits. Hence, we'll invalidate the thought that our safety limits are, are safe or sufficient to prevent illness or effects, long-term and short-term. So that's, that's the answer. So if phones were made 100 times lower emissions, we have no indication that it would still be safe for fertility, for example. But at the moment, at the minimum, we should start reducing levels to, let's say, the, the bare minimum. Why is Apple able to update the software and emit less? Well, that's simple fix. They go into software and they say, we're going to lower the power of the antenna. But wait a minute, won't that make the phone not connect to the cell phone tower anymore, right? It doesn't make sense. Well, get this. There's an engineer called James C. Lin, IEEE Fellow, Life Fellow. That's the highest level of decoration you can have at IEEE. He's highly published. James C. Lin used to be ICNRP's chairman. ICNRP is the FCC equivalent, but internationally based in Germany. They set standards, and it's really bogus. It's incredibly bogus, captured by industry. 
But James Seelan uh, had a change of mind in the last few years. Now he realized that, well, maybe we should start reduce exposure. And he found that the safety limits don't account for children. So he had a big change of heart. And now he's part of a group that's looking at the biological effects of EMFs. No one talks about this, but this is huge. This is major. In fact, in IEEE and these engineering journals, I see more and more indications that many engineers are looking at this issue and actually care about it. And they say, my God, it's a huge issue. We need to change technology. So James Seelin said recently that in order to connect to a tower, phones could likely be 20, 50 times lower power and there would be zero change in function. I was blown away when I heard that two weeks ago. I was like, oh my God, this is this is crazy. And then you have also the, the um, ex-president uh, of Microsoft Canada, uh, Frank Cleggs, who said the same thing for cell phone towers. He said that according to what he knows, and I mean, he, he knows all the engineering side of things. That's really part of his expertise is, I guess, electrical compute, computer engineering, but probably electrical engineering as well. He said cell phone towers could be made much more lower power and they would function the same. But why, is, why isn't the industry, industry interested in doing this? Well, it's a matter of competitiveness. So if Verizon doesn't lower the emission of their 4G and 5G towers, then AT&T won't do it. And if they are not forced, to do it, they likely won't do it unless the public demands for it. And all of a sudden it's Verizon, the lowest emissions and still good connectivity. And they make it kind of a marketing thing. So it's really the, the, the long, long-winded answer is we could make these cell phones safer. And there's a good paper I have uh, to point people to. It's, it's by uh, the group called ICBE EMF that the International Commission for the Biological Effects of Electromagnetic Fields, and that's a, a big mouthful, but ICBE is really the premier group around the world I would consider the most important group right now, publishing a few key papers about what should the new guidelines be. And then they also publish around cell phone engineering solutions, giving the industry a blueprint to explore safer phones. For example, Users are not even shielded against the emissions. You could easily have a sort of shielding between users and the antenna. There's essentially none because it's not a requirement. And the reality is these technologies have been suppressed or not used or shelved. Let's face it, it might be that by Nokia and early cell phone companies in the 80s because there wasn't any demand for it. So why put it in the Nokia 9000 in the 90s when we don't need to do that? We don't need to shield users because it's all safe, right? So they're gonna become safer, but it's a hard thing to look at because at the moment we have no indication that there will be such thing as a safe phone in the near future. Yeah, um, to that I'd like to add that I have serious reservations whether or not this type of technology can be safe, no matter what the dose. Uh, mm -hmm. I would certainly be all for lessening the radiation uh, intensity, but consider this, uh, the human organism is uh, its own distinct electromagnetic field. 
It's yeah. actually a composite of uncountable waveforms. Now, these waveforms are, in fact, what precipitate our physiology, our anatomy, our biology, and so forth. If we go back to the Spanish flu epidemic, so-called, it's been validated through many sources that it was not a microbial event, but it was, in fact, a sequelae of the rollout of the first very limited and crude electrical grid. This was substantiated by people like Rudolf Steiner, even. Mm -hmm. And what was explained is that even though it was very weak as far as its intensity compared to what we're facing now, it still was enough to force the population to make an adaptation on that electromagnetic level, which cannot do anything but affect every level of our physiology and our being. And the problem with that is forevermore, even after the symptoms of people who are allegedly succumbing to the flu, uh, when the population made that adaptation, then uh, people started having less, ad uh, less symptoms, not because of anything to do with a microbe, but they made this adaptation. But that adaptation necessitated a weakening in the resiliency of their entire body. And uh, we've been weakened ever since. And then, of course, that was followed with, um, you know, radar, the rollout, uh, rollout of radar during the world wars. And, and it just keeps escalating, escalating. I think a good um, thing to ponder is that this um, technology was actually military grade and originated from mil as a military technology from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So when you say, well, why don't they lessen the intensity of things? Well, you know, it might sound a little conspiratorial, but I think it gets a little more sinister. Now also consider that our biology being a product of these electromagnetic fields, uh, which is what we really are, they favor horizontally oriented, longer sinusoidal waves. That's just more the way nature works. Now, these microwave technologies, of course, by their very name, suggest that they are shorter waveforms. They are more in a vertical orientation. They are very penetrating, and they affect every part of our electromagnetic field, even if we're a so-called safe distance away from our phone or double the safe distance. It's affecting us nevertheless. In the past, I treated many sensitive people to all sorts of things, including uh, the, the electromagnetic smog. And what we did was just uh, uh, bring their system up to a point where it was more uh, possible for them to adapt to this onslaught. And so they were more symptom-free. It didn't free them from the onslaught, but what the bio or the... Um, the studies are not revealing in these channels. Even, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt and saying they're really trying to get to the bottom of this and do legitimate studies. They're still working on the biological level solely, and they are not considering that when you put events in motion on that more subtle electromagnetic plane, even in people that don't exhibit symptoms because they're able for whatever reason to adapt better than the overly sensitive people, you're still creating long-term effects. It is absolutely going to shorten the lifespan sure. and well-being of that person and well as well as their cognitive ability, which is why I think we're witnessing now just the absence of common sense in parents 
that are substituting good parental interaction for, you know, handing their kid a phone and letting that be their new babysitter. And um, also, it, I think, just reflects a larger illness within our society that was foretold by uh, a Soviet notable many decades ago. And he said, we will conquer the West and we will do it in a way where you, the population will ask for those very things that we are conquering them with. So I, I just can't um, uh, help but kind of go down a few rabbit holes and think that there's more to this than just people trying to make money with calm, uh, you know, kind of corporations and, and that sort of thing. I think there's several levels to this agenda. We've addressed those things, but I was also... Um, where some time ago, I think it was a Danish firm that was bringing in a technology that would uh, allow all of the Wi-Fi capabilities without the noxious influences and without any dead spots, even as far as service. And that was all kiboshed by the industry. Do you know anything about that or uh, just have any comments about anything that I've been ranting on about here? Um, I'm not aware. I'm, I'm aware of um, mm. people that have tried uh, quantum communications. Uh, mm -hmm. That's in fact progressing from what I can see. Uh, one German researcher uh, claims to have done that a while ago, but I didn't really follow that lead. But it's it, there's no doubt in my mind that if someone came and said, we've developed a way to teleport information and it won't affect anyone and it will replace the entire grid but it's not patentable <laughs> it will it will be aggressively fought against i mean this is just how it goes this is the kind of game that uh we're, we're talking about an industry the telecom industry and big tech that is in, in many um estimations larger than big pharma so the same tactics are used, the same force, the same brute control of narratives and everything we've seen. It's, it's the same resources that are being used. So we have to keep that in mind. So if there's if there's something that can fix it all, it will likely be fought against. That's just the unfortunate reality. Mm -hmm. uh, at least I'd say that there, there's progress and awareness and it makes it very hard to deny that something is going on and something is unsafe. That's the, I guess, the first step. Uh, for example, there's Dr. Andrew Uberman from Stanford, who is well known online. And earlier in the year, he said uh, in a private uh, membership, because it looks like he isn't ready to kind of do a whole episode yet of uh, the Uberman Lab podcast. But he said, you know, I don't use Bluetooth anymore. I'm very concerned about the effects on the auditory nerve and uh, the bones in the ear. And he said uh, fertility, you know, he said, yeah, a lot of people are talking about BPA being, uh, being disruptive to hormones, but the data on cell phone is way stronger. Like stop talking about BPA, talk about the phones instead. And I was blown away by his analysis on that, being someone extremely mainstream and influential, said, okay, well, it means, you know, some are more courageous than others. I perceive him as someone who's willing to talk about topics that uh, are considered fringe by others, but he realizes there's good data and he's able to communicate it in a way that keeps his credibility intact. 
but uh, it takes it takes courage because online a lot of people and still to this day when I publish information there are engineers PhDs physicists uh, of all kinds that that tell me things that are completely wild including including very intelligent people that tell me Nick there's not one single study in the world that someone told me that last year not one study showing harm in the world and I said, well, we're talking about a scientific literature of 35,000. So what are you, what on earth are you talking about? It looks like you haven't looked at one study. That's the reality of it. They haven't looked, they just are part of this paradigm and have been repeated, repeated the idea. There's no effect, there's no effects. So, and, and not only there's no effect, Anyone claiming effects are these tinfoil hatter conspiracy theorists. It's, um, they did, right? It happens in so many topics now. It's not even funny anymore. It's not even just the term conspiracy theorist. When I see it, for me, it's a litmus test to uh, a, cer a certain person. Um, I'm not completely close to having a discussion with a person that uses the term, but I'm 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 prudent about engaging too much because I, I'm I likely waste my time. I mean, what what does it even mean? It's not you. It's now used for everything from extraterrestrials to to uh, uh, talking about certain medical procedures to electromagnetic fields to um, people that deny there's any problems with corporations, right? It looks like now if we're saying, well, corporations have too much power. Oh, conspiracy theorists. What? It, it used to be, you know, the, the minimum required to be considered a, a progressive or someone, you know, the Democratic Party was like, oh, against big corporations. And now it's like, it were, it, it, someone um, online said this and uh, it's uh, Ivor Cummins, who was very good for his uh, analysis during the pandemic. And he said, this is one of the few times in history where people who question authority are considered the questionable people or something like that, you know? So it, it's, it's, it's seen as a problem if you question authority or corporations, which is completely maddening to me. But uh, as far as your comments on cell phones, uh, and and the safety of lower levels, I agree 100%. It is a slippery slope to go into and say, uh, well, we're going to drop the levels 100 times and now we're going to be safe because that's what they'll try to do if we tell them that the levels are too high. They're going to say, okay, well, how low do you want to go? And the reality is, is it compatible with life? The way that we're thinking about it, likely not. So a redesign of our entire infrastructure is probably needed, but we're talking about also stopping the satellite projects or changing. I don't know if quantum communications could it be, even be safe if we, we we could create another problem for all I know. So or it's tearing the fabric of reality apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just that, just that. We well, start using quantum communications and all of a sudden we have uh, black holes in the middle of the planet. I have no idea, you know, so it's just. We do we do know the Schumann resonance is what, 7.83 hertz. And that seems to be the natural resonance of the, the planet that nature works at. And that is a very, very, very low, ultra low frequency. And now we're looking at 5G and 6G with mm -hmm. we're looking at 66 
uh, was it's six, 60, 60 gigahertz. So that's 60 billion times. Is that right? 60 billion times yeah. or something like that. The frequency, I know that's Mike, it's millimeter wave. So it's different. They say, but obviously anybody with just the slightest bit of common sense can see just how insane that is. <laughs> I, I'd say, Mike, I'd say this is a common, it's not a mistake, but mm -hmm. it is a simplification of the problem. A lot of people say lower frequency, less danger, higher frequency, more danger. It's more complicated than that because if you go in the in the light spectrum, we're talking about 400,000 gigahertz and up, right? So it's just that we talk about nanometers. Somehow with visible light, we talk about nanometers, which is the wavelength and not the frequency, but the frequency in it itself is 400,000 gigahertz and more, and it's a visible light. So it's not inherently dangerous to have high frequency, but if you take that light and put the sort of foreign characteristics on it, let's say a screen, you have the wrong spectrum, you have pulsation, you have all sorts of light characteristics that are not found in nature, then you have a problem. When you go in lower frequencies, you might have one, three gigahertz. For sure, intensity is a problem, but also pulsation, modulation of the pattern, all these ways that we tamper with the signal, in fact, might be more problematic than just the frequency or even the intensity. And that's kind of the, the big problem that makes it hard for people to understand. I think that at this point, it's safe to say that turning off a cell phone is, say, is way safer than reducing its intensity. Just because we don't have that scientific certainty that uh, I, I, I shield my cell phone 99%, is this still sufficient not to have biological effects? And the answer in, in at least the data we have, oftentimes it's no. We still have effects on fertility at levels that are so low, it's incredible. Because our biology is not compatible with these signal characteristics and that kind of intensity in those frequencies. Um, so it's it's a little bit trickier than just high frequency. But it, it is true that with 5G, we were we are going with millimeter waves where the science is even more sparse and that's even more concerning, right? Everything before was unsafe. Now we're just adding another issue and we're thinking about 6G, they're gonna go into uh, the terahertz range, 300 gigahertz and above. At least they're trying to. They're doing tests and new antenna designs and I'm following the development and no one is talking about uh, possible health issues there. No one, no one, not a single person. It, it's 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 incredible. I, I'll go even further than that because I wanted to talk about it. This is novel research for me. I I, um, I dove into a book, uh, a book uh, that's been published by Sally Addy, uh, who's a journalist on bioelectricity, specialized in bioelectricity. It's called We Are Electric. It's basically the history of electricity. Just like you might have heard about the invisible rainbow, Arthur Furstenberg, that goes into, there you go, very good book. It's one of my favorite of all time. I must say, I, I consider it way better than my book, but it's different. You know, it's very yeah. in-depth. Guys, uh, get this We've book. talked about it a lot on the podcast. Yeah. There you I go. Love so, Arthur, he's, a, he's a, a little extreme though sometimes. I think we were supposed to be uh, dead for the last few years, he said. That, so that's for sure. Years. Exactly. So, so. Some people think it's a little bit one-sided. There's not enough 
it, it's not enough uh, inclusive of other factors that increased with uh, modernity, including certain toxins. The glyphosate aficionados or activists will say, no, it's completely missing. The people that are into tap water safety will say, no, it's the tap water. So, you know, everyone has their thing. And I think we have to consider that many different factors led to chronic illness, many, including electromagnetic pollution. That being said, electromagnetic pollution ignored by environmentalists, ridiculed online still, even if there's 35,000 studies strong in the database, emf-portal.com. So it is a topic that I'd say is a priority to get right or to, to talk about. So going back to the book, We Are Electric, it is the equivalent of the invisible rainbow, but just with the, the discoveries around bioelectricity. When did we discover brainwaves? When did researchers discover that there's uh, you know, a voltage gradient at the cell membrane level and mitochondria have electricity and the nervous system, how it communicates? And it's, it's a fascinating read, but I don't see a mention of possible health effects. So it's it's an entire history that is missing because in the invisible rainbow, he clearly demonstrates that throughout all these different different developments, including the from the static fields or static shocks that they were using in laden jars for yeah. parlor tricks and all sorts of things in the set at the end of the 1700s and beginning of the 1800s to telegrams and eventually radio and everyone was getting sick or at least a lot of inventors were getting sick he talked about tesla being electrosensitive uh, a lot of inventors around electricity becoming electrosensitives and and writing about it of and, neurasthenia or whatever you call it we're all of a sudden exactly just with different issues. names right yep. so it is very concerning to me that the entire field of bioelectricity is not does not seem to be aware talk, talk about a uh you know a kind of blind angle here for them they're, they don't seem to be interested or at least publicly. I don't see indications that when they discovered in uh, 2015 that uh, there's an electrical field that in when you have a wound, the macrophages will start finding that wound because it emits an electrical field that is five volts per meter to 300 volts per meter. It's It's small, but it kind of signals the body, here's the wound. And then you have a migration of a lot of different guys that are responsible for repair and inflammation and cleanup. And so the researchers in these fields are just discovering that now. IEEE in 2021, they found that different bacteria that form biofilms, so communities of bacteria, talk to each other using radiation in the one to three gigahertz range, exactly the range we use for cell phone communications and the 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi. It's 2021. They said this is the first indication around the world that we are publishing right now that <laughs> some bacteria that are present in around, I think it's a third of the human population, these bacteria are present in your gut. They talk to each other using telecommunications in the same channels or similar than we use for cell phones. So it's just food for thought. It's it's we're and we uh... 
it, it's weird. We wonder why. Yeah. We wonder why everybody has leaky gut syndrome and all these well, other kinds of things. Question right? mark, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. we don't. So, well, so you know, we don't, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Another issue with the research is a lot of it is still based on conventional medical constructs. Yeah. That are disproven. Uh, for instance, you mentioned cell membranes. Well, now we know that cell membranes is an archaic notion, and cells actually function and are anatomically different than what we were all taught in medical school. And we could go on and on and on. Yeah. So yeah. to do any kind of legitimate research to see the effects of these on us, then we would have to be able to go into those more refined levels of testing that are based on the true authentic nature of our bodies in the first place, mm -hmm. which isn't being done. So with this, uh, you know, in our time left, boy, there's so much uh, <laughs> I'd like to pick your brain about. Um, sure. Could we maybe segue into uh, solutions that uh, yeah. we might be able to avail ourselves on a personal level, because we don't ever like to leave our audience in a kind of a hopeless, hapless situation, because we believe here that there's always solution, there's always remedy. Uh, and even perhaps some of these things that we are considering challenging are um, could actually be used to our advantage if we uh, if we do so. So if you could take it away on that level. For sure. I think that a lot of people are focused on the wrong sources of EMFs, quite simply. They look at mm -hmm. towers. They're afraid of a tower. Is it emitting towards me? Is it blasting me with radiation? They have a phone in the pocket while they think that. So distance is really important. If, if a cell phone or a smartwatch or something is touching your body, there's a concern. There's a concern for your immediate health but even so, more so long-term when it comes to brain tumors or there are indications. There's now one published case of someone having uh, a massive uh, cyst in the IT band on the side of the hip where they had their phone. And we cannot conclude, is it correlation? Is it, well, I mean, I've got indications of people having lower bone density on one hip where they keep the phone. There's an anecdotes of that. Uh, there's a strong anecdotal, uh, anecdotal evidence of breast cancer for women who keep a phone in their breast area. Uh, then there's even more data that is not published, but just discussions with two cardiologists around patients come in. I don't know what's wrong with my heart. I have palpitations. It's stopping. It's starting. It's it's racing. They have a phone in the pocket. When they remove it, they go back home. They're fine. So you really choose where you want damage when you carry a phone on your person or when you talk. So make sure that you hit airplane mode when you carry it. If you cannot, Use a bag, use something else, create distance from your body, especially if you're home, there's no reason to keep the phone on you. It could be on a table. It's just, so, so this is just the habits part that we need to develop around the devices that we know for sure they could create big trouble in your health, if not kill you, essentially. It, and, glioblastomas. And, and by the way, but just a comment, anecdotal is a synonym for empiricism, which mm -hmm. is... Uh, considered scientific and sure. in my practice uh you know i can't prove it to anybody but when i all of a sudden see a rash of people coming in with certain conditions that correlates with you know something like the wi-fi being rolled out or whatever uh you know anybody 
in the the trades even would say, oh, there there must be something to that. And you have to make adjustments for what you do. And especially in medicine. And of course, that's why, you know, the the medical field and everything else has also been captured to uh change the the definition of science, period. Um, but go 100%. ahead with uh, going with the solutions. Yes. And for, for me, the anecdotal data part is became, I think it, it, it's becoming increasingly important in my work because yes, I have reviewed the studies. I look at the science, I look at what's published, but I am more interested these days in talking to functional medicine doctors or environmental medicine doctors that are specialized in treating electrosensitives because they are treating real people in the real world using real solutions and they're getting real results. So my question for them is, okay, what do you do? What do you see out there? And they see massive increases in people that have problems with this. Uh, and they see some, some people having rashes, that's for sure. There, Some people keep, um, there. there's been reports of wearables creating rashes on the skin because of a histaminic um, kind of reaction. Uh, and also people with uh, mast cell activation syndrome, which is syndrome is another word for we don't really know what's going on, right? So syndrome is just an ensemble of different symptoms, but we don't really know the cause. So people with MCAS have found that ugh, probably it's it's worsening also their symptoms. So going back to solution, it's really to use that thing called the cell phone with great care. Means if you talk on it, talk with a distance. You don't have to talk on the ear. Create distance, you know, one arm's length is good. It, it is way better to create a few centimeters of distance rather than zero. So that's one thing. And at home, the Wi-Fi router is really a big source. So what I did in my home to share my own story is when my wife was pregnant, we decided to turn off Wi-Fi and we haven't turned it on except a few occasions for the nanny because she wants it. It's no big deal to open Wi-Fi for 24 hours, but 24 hours times five years that I've been turning off Wi-Fi, six is huge. So that this is your overall exposure. And a lot of people mistakenly think that turning off your own Wi-Fi router won't make a difference if you live in a condo, if you live in the city, it still does. In fact, a lot of people report sleeping better just turning off their own Wi-Fi. So imagine how better they would sleep in nature with zero Wi-Fi, right? There's there's so many others, uh, other sources around, but we have to focus first on the ones where we have full control over. You decide to irradiate yourself. When you turn off Wi-Fi, there's still the internet. You use a cable and you cable in your computer. You can do the same with your phone. You can do the same with tablets. What I do at home is I have this office. When I use my phone, I use it sometimes. I look at the, the weather. I'm not always good to using the wire. Sometimes I use it a little bit, but I use it a few minutes per day maximum. That's a that's really <laughs> light years ahead of certain people that use it can all the time. Can I ask you a quick question? Sure. Um, so, okay, so you plug into the Ethernet and now your modem is hardwired in. And does that mean that you're absolutely getting no um, EMF in the atmosphere? Does that automatically stop that? No, you have, it's more manual than that because technology is built in a way that always emits. So you have to visit the router's settings 
through your computer. Mm -hmm. And there's a way to do that. You just uh, type around in, in a search bar to, to find a tutorial. And you have to go in the admin settings, turn off the Wi-Fi antennas. On most routers, this can be done. In fact, I, I travel to uh, Europe, uh, East uh, Eastern Asia, also multiple countries, and I was able to do it all the time on new models, even yeah. with menus in J Japanese or, or, or uh, Thailand in languages I couldn't yeah. understand. I translated the thing, you know, eventually you get better at it, but you're able to turn off Wi-Fi and wire it in. On your computer, you also need to go in where it says Wi-Fi and make sure it's turned off or else the antenna, even if it's not connected, it keeps looking for a connection. So that in and itself yeah, is a source you. of exposure. Yeah. So you have yeah, to I turn off Bluetooth and Wi-Fi yeah. Yeah, on your devices, even if you're wired in. So that's a big part of the exposure component is being careful about what devices you bring into your home. That's that's the thing. And it's it's tough. I'll, I'll, I'll give everyone that, right? I, I want to give everyone a break because it's it, we're in a society where all new products that come out are wireless now. So you see this speaker, you see these headphones, and now you hear an interview like that and you're like, oh my God, I cannot have any of it, <laughs> right? So it's, it's, it is difficult, but just there are good machines that are wired and eventually it might become a, a cool thing again. I'm trying to be part of that movement, right? Saying, you know, wired is, is nice. And the reality is when it comes to your computer, think about it this way. My office is basically 20 feet from the router and this connection used to be very poor when I came into this condo. I, it was frustrating. I was do, doing Zoom interviews like this and it was choppy. My voice was all over the place and blah, blah, blah. blah. Now it's not because I'm cabled in, right? So it has a stability and cybersecurity aspect to it. So it's not something everyone thinks about, but if you're an entrepreneur or you just work on a computer a lot, there's no reason if you don't move your computer around to, to, to have this computer be on Wi-Fi. So even if you don't turn off Wi-Fi in your home, you can still decide that this computer will be cabled in. I have a cable. Their Wi-Fi is over there. I don't use it. And then it means that your computer itself in front of you will not be emitting Wi-Fi if you turn it off. And that's closer than the router. So always think about where you can reduce exposure for different machines that you use for a lot of hours, right? That's your priority is not, oh, I have a smart toaster and now I need to change it. Well, how much time do you spend in front of your this toaster? Well, five minutes per day. Probably not your priority, right? Phone, tablet, laptop, Bluetooth thingies, everything that contributes to the highest degree of exposure for you. So we have to be strategic about it because if we just say eliminate all of them, most people will say, you know, that's completely unrealistic and I don't know where to start. And I'm on board, Nick, but my wife isn't. Or I'm on board, but my husband is not. So that's a hard sell. That's also part of the equation is, Bringing these changes at home might take time, but you can wire in your computer. You can decide to have your Wi-Fi on a timer to get started with um, and to make sure that your kids cannot use Wi-Fi in the middle of the night. That's always good. Uh, so these kind of st action steps need to be taken, um, let's say, with baby steps, except if you are very electrosensitive. But that's another story. If you realize, you know, I open my phone, I get a headache immediately, I'm super sensitive, I feel sick in a city. 
then having Wi-Fi is kind of silly for you. It's like uh, someone with extreme diabetes with bowls of candy everywhere. It's you're you're kind of playing with fire, right? You're having this toxic agent for your body, and it will keep you in the sensitive zone for for longer if you keep playing with these toys. Now, do you um, have any technologies, uh, mitigating technologies to help shield or otherwise that you favor? There are different cases that that I use um, that I recommend. Shield your body makes decent. It's not, I guess it's cases, but it, it's not completely enclosed because if you have cases that are poorly designed, it might increase exposure because it blocks the antenna, forcing the phone to ramp up its radiation. So it's a little bit tricky to get the right things. There are different technologies out there that I looked in the subtle energy realm. Uh, it is a very difficult realm to explore because there's not a lot of things that are published. It's a lot of uh, opinion. Uh, a lot of people where, okay, can I verify this technology works or not? That being said, I have to acknowledge that certain technologies such as biogeometry, for example, uh, seems to be very promising. I was, to, I was just going to mention yeah. biogeometry, which is well, what I would it, favor. It's one of the most credible approaches I've seen just because Dr. Kareem has, you know, published there's PG thesis in, in Egypt, uh, looking at the technology. I do have uh, biogeometry in my home. Um, the big question remains for scientists, and, and we talk about these things. I have different things like that in, in my home. The entire home has been reviewed by a biogeometry uh, surveyor, yeah. if you will. So uh, yeah, I, I also have work. personal protection stuff. But the big mm -hmm. question is, Dr. Kareem would, would say, you know, we use the physics of quality and you're, you're protected against these effects. Scientists would say, okay, well, do we know there's protection at all levels? And I'm working with a group of scientists right now behind the scenes who are trying to come up with a way to test the short-term immediate effects of certain mitigation devices that are, that play on different realms. Some of them use technologies where the physics are still not widely accepted, such as scalar waves or this and that. And it's very hard to judge with our mainstream tools, which one are worth it or working. And are they really protective on all levels? For example, maybe a device can protect your brain, but then the blood is still affected. Therefore, if this device manufacturer says you're completely protected, it would be completely inexact. In fact, it would be dangerous to say so because people would maybe still use their phone and say, well, I'm completely protected. So that's so the problem I have around some of these devices is the way they are sold to the public. And it, now it becomes in the communication of certainty or the communication of science. And sometimes I think it's oversold. Uh, I think that in a lot of cases, these devices some of them are backed by very strong data among users that say, you know, I used to be electrosensitive. This changed my life. We cannot ignore these, these uh, points of data at all. In fact, we should embrace it, say, look, these devices seem to be working to alleviate symptoms. Doesn't mean that now you can go in any environment and expose yourself, reopen the Wi-Fi router. I think that's playing with fire. So I think we need to say, there are many different modalities out there that can increase your resilience in this stressful environment. But like I, I agree with you that if this technology is completely incompatible with life, it is it sufficient to have a pendant 
or a chip on your phone and then call it a day. I think that's playing a dangerous game. So we should embrace different technologies. They're hard to quantify, but also while being prudent around the exposure. It's like people going to alternative practitioners, chiropractors, or getting energy work, and then going back to their routine of eating fast food and <laughs> toxic emotions and all that. It's yeah. same kind of parallel idea there, right? It's like, you got to you got to fix the where the toxicity is coming from to begin with and that makes a lot of sense so like we have a we do this faraday bag i put my phone in um that we offer through our partner emf rocks and there's this idea of grounding right where you can ground those charges because uh we are really electromagnetic uh as some of uh coincidence theorists was saying here in the chat we are electret uh, and, and which just a lot of people don't even know what that means. And it's the fact that we are uh, dielectric uh, um, charge. We have a static charge that is uh, basically electromagnetic. And it's very, um, it's, 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 it's something that is uh, easily disturbed, right, by these frequencies. So to yeah. be able to go out and ground that uh, in, uh, barefoot on, and, you know, I end this every podcast with this, go out, get your bare feet in the ground, go garden, go into mother nature. So I think that's like in a really important reminder here is yeah. Turn off your Wi-Fi router at night. And, and I, and that's, I have a timer on mine because I don't even have, um, um, cell phone service where I live. So I actually require Wi-Fi calling to even make a call on yeah. my phone. Um, yep. or to even have my landline work. Uh, it goes through the same modem. Um, so I have it turn off at night. Um, however, I'm looking to remediate that at all times because unfortunately my office here is where the stupid router is installed. So it's like right by me where I work. So what I do is every 30 minutes when I'm working from the computer, I go outside, I'm always barefoot. I go garden, I go walk That's on my perfect. grass. Also, I, one thing I really want to do more, and Bear is pretty good at that, you see it behind him there, is get more plants in my house, mm -hmm. right? Get more natural growing things all around me to try to, um, I guess, bring more of that natural residence in and also block some of this stuff that's hitting me. Um, any ideas there around bringing plants into the house? Um, you know, having more nature around you and less sort of uh, uh, these square boxes we're in of all this dirty electricity and all the frequencies bouncing off. Does have there been you know studies showing how plants in the house can help remediate stuff? Well, instead, I'll I'll go further than that. That's I'll say that there's two parts of remediation, and I'm increasingly talking about it in those terms. First, removing the noise which is the electromagnetic stuff that we put around us. And then it's it's not sufficient. And I talk to doctors in electrosensitivity and many electrosensitives end up staying home inside. They're completely white, zero sun exposure, zero grounding. They hide in their prison. Not sufficient. They don't get well. and feel. In fact, they feel quite sick, right? Like anyone would if you stay inside all the time. So you also need the second part, which is, retuning your body to the natural world. And I think that maybe some devices or even biogeometry might offer some 
hints at, okay, we tried to mimic nature, we tried to get inspired by the sacred power spots, but you know what's sacred? Going in a forest. <laughs> That's still, it all comes down to reconnecting with nature. When you go barefoot on the earth, there's, there's the mechanisms are starting to get known around that. But I, um, one of the interviews I did for the 2024 summit is Dr. Jack Cruz. His message was just one thing, reconnect with nature. That's it. It's always been his message, still is to this day. And he was talking specifically about electrosensitivity. The funny thing is, I ask electromagnetic uh, um, sensitivity experts that are treating these patients, they tell me the same thing. So now I'm starting to see the points of data saying, okay, well, it makes sense in theory. It makes sense in practice. Everyone is saying it. So in reality, if you're in a city, go in a park. And people ask me, well, I'm in a park, but now I, I'm worried about uh, glyphosate on, uh, on, on. <laughs> like there's so many thoughts in their mind about the toxins in a park and the cell tower. And But at one point, we have to also go and trust our subjective, subjective experience. So if I go in a park and I feel extremely sick, probably leave. If I go in a park and I say, oh my God, what a beautiful day. I'm so glad I got outside. And I'm, I'm feeling this right now because I have this light in this studio. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go outside, take a walk. If you feel subjectively better, well, you're probably in the right direction. You're retuning to the sun, the normal environment, even if the noise around is quite strong. I'm in a city. So who am, who am I kidding? I, I will get exposed. But reconnecting to nature seems to be the answer because no matter how we want to create simplistic solutions that try to mimic nature. It's always a small sliver of the innate wisdom that nature has already figured out through billions of years, possibly, or it is just compatible I'm, with biology, quite yeah, simply. I'm, we know it's yeah, compatible. <laughs> yeah, th th that's fantastic because, uh, you know, it, it, that's our mantra here on this uh, show, you know, which is, you know, go out in nature, like Mike said. And, uh, you know, I really favor biogeometry for a lot of reasons, which we could talk about. But I agree with you if you're sitting inside all the time and expecting this one little medallion around your you know, neck to fix everything, you know, you, you really need to change that up. And I think some of us that have been um, in our bodies a little bit longer have a bit of an advantage because we have a memory of pre-internet, pre-Wi-Fi. Uh, where we used to read, where we used to visit with mm. friends and family and uh, just be a lot more active uh, outside in our bodies, athletic and so forth. So um, it and it's it's very gratifying. And I've worked with a lot of people recently, you know, where we encourage them to change their lifestyle because everybody's talking about, OK, we've got to change my lifestyle, got to eat better, got to do all these things. Well, how about if you just start reading, turning off your internet and, you know, people find all different facets of themselves they've never discovered before mm -hmm. because they're not just glued to these, uh, you know, devices that are coming in through frequencies. And I would argue that at that point in my life, before we had all this, life was much more refined. It was much more in, uh, enjoyable, much more elegant uh, than it is now. And people uh, seem to be more empathetic uh, with each other. And it's just life life was good. And so that's not to say that we can't have technology completely. I'm not a Luddite uh, kind of, but not all the way. 
So, um, you know, I just really try to encourage and, and as we do here, you know, people just to get outside and do the basic things that they can do. And I think a city park, no matter what they're spraying the grass with, is way better than sitting in a cubicle with Wi-Fi. So yeah. um, this has been an amazing conversation. I could talk to you all day and maybe, you know, we could even do a part two down the road. But uh, so, Nick, anything that you'd like to leave us with that we haven't already talked about? Um, I'll just say I haven't talked about the just stressing the importance of turning off devices before sleep in particular, mm -hmm. just because they're we, we often talk about the circadian rhythm and, and how blue light before sleep is is bad and it keeps you awake. The same thing can be said for cell phones. There's a modification of brain waves. It prevents proper sleep. And uh, just to give you, to leave you with something that fascinated me, and I'm I'm excited because I haven't shared this with anyone, just my wife, but she she listened to me being polite, but sometimes I just, you know, throw so much stuff at her that I, poor, poor, poor her. I mean, I, I was just renting for 15 minutes there, and I don't even know if she wanted to listen anymore but i when when i have a venue like this podcast i'm excited there's this study done by um by rodney croft who's an engineer and uh someone who is now head of ICNERB that i talked about this agency that says you know there's no health effects don't worry about it in 2008 they did a study looking at opening a cell phone next to someone's head that is uh, someone that is sleep deprived. So already sleep deprived, you open a phone, but they're not aware they have a sham control and for 30 minutes and then you turn it off. And basically what happened is that for the next hour, they couldn't fall to sleep because they realized mm -hmm. through EEG tracking that their brain waves were not in the right spot. Basically they stayed stimulated for an extra hour after the cell phone exposure had gone away. So imagine what it does if you have your cell phone next to your bed stand all night, like a lot of people do. Oh. But that's not why I'm sharing this study because it goes much, it's, it's, it's more grave than that. Rodney Croft, with all his wisdom, and that's uh, completely ironic on my part, said, well, you know, it doesn't mean that cell phones are dangerous. Because in, in, in reality, this is just the equivalent of being stimulated by half a coffee. This is what he said, 2008, and now he's the head of ICNERP, right? So years later, with that kind of thinking where you say, well, you know, at a population level, taking half a coffee while you sleep is no big deal. Are you kidding me? I mean, these people are completely disconnected from what public health means. Because anyone in public health that is asked, you know, what do you think would be the effect if we give everyone half a cup of coffee before bed, they would say, well, it's a disaster. I mean, everyone is already insomniac and poor sleep, poor recovery, poor wound healing. People get depressed. The, their blood sugar is all over the place if they sleep, um, if they have sleepless nights. And so it affects public health on every single level. But instead of saying that, they said, not dangerous. Let's move move along, folks. So this is the type of science that we're also facing. So I'm talking about science a lot in this presentation, but at the same time, sometimes I see this tool being misused. And that's a that's a one part where the researchers are so stuck in their specialization 
that they conclude the thing, their conclusions are completely bogus, completely irresponsible in that case, which they should have said, oh my God, well, the cell phones for 30 minutes impact your sleep and now you cannot go back to sleep for an hour, but most people have their phones next to, next to their bed. So one plus one equal two, we should probably tell people to not have a phone next to their bed and hence we're, we're going to raise the health of the population but this is not what happened so when i read this article in scientific uh what is it scientific american i just said these guys the they're dangerous in that sense they're very dangerous with this myopic thinking half a coffee no big deal are you kidding me? I mean, it's 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 ludicrous. It's just incredible. So you have to look out for yourself. Now that you're aware your phone might interfere with your sleep and maybe the equivalent of half a coffee, but who knows? Maybe for the electrosensitive, it's six coffees for all I know. I have no idea. But it is a stimulation to your body. Turn it off. Put it in the next room if you expect a call. Maximum ringer if you don't want to miss a call from your teenage uh, kids that are going out or something like that. I, I understand these things, but not next to your bed because that's what you're playing with. You're playing with a toy that's going to make your sleep even even worse. Who here has enough sleep, right? It's almost zero, zero people that I asked that question to. So the reality is we could all use better sleep, turn off these devices before bed, and that's especially important. Yeah, brilliant. So simple to do. These are simple solutions, guys. It's just like, <laughs> you know, uh, it's 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 amazing how many people, and I found myself guilty of this, is like checking Instagram reels and feeds before right before going to sleep. And then, you know, we have a guest coming on in a couple of weeks who's an expert in out-of-body stuff and scientifically taking us down that rabbit hole. And, you know, the qualitative aspect of your dreams and your ability to touch in with your higher self, I'm sure is drastically, I know personally, from my own experience, is drastically affected. So even beyond just uh, the more, uh, you know, biophysical effects, we're talking about spiritual effects, emotional effects. I mean, look at what's going on in the cities right now with, with the youth, you know, coming together in this massive sort of like tirade of anger and, uh, and, and crazy frenetic energy. They're on TikTok all day. They're literally being radiated constantly on their phones. It, there has to be an effect to the energetics of not only just on the on the physical physical health side, but on the spiritual mental side as well. Uh, you know, in terms of being more peaceful and being more at um, sort of in your natural flow state versus this sort of frenetic, crazy, hectic sensibility you get when you're being radiated like that. I'm sure there's something there. So yeah, Nick. Uh, so much to talk about. We'll have to come have you on for part two. Thanks for all of the education we had today and for the really important reminders, right? About how important it is to, to do these little things to help us. Uh, yeah, that was amazing. Amazing discussion, Nick. And now Mike is in two words going to give us the bottom line solution, which is get outside. Yep. Remember, guys, well, first and foremost, go follow Nick, uh, and uh, you can go to the emfguy.com, right? Nick, that has all of your links and everything. Is that the best yep. place for people to go? Okay. My book, courses, and you can get on the newsletter there if you want to hear about the summit. It's uh, 
April 11 to 14, 2024. So I'm I'm way too ahead on my planning. So you're going to have to wait several months. Like what a bad sell, right? <laughs> but it's going to come. It's going to be exciting. It's focused on electrosensitivity. So in the meantime, of course, I always have my podcast. I have new episodes coming up um, very soon. And yeah, there's always new discussions to 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 have and sometimes i go even wider than just electromagnetic fields because i get bored with myself and i go also with <laughs> other toxins and you know i i i'm i'm really a a, a lifelong learner so uh, chances are that uh, i'll i'll stick to this topic for a while but i'm also following so many other resources and and sharing what i find yeah and and they're oh, all interconnected. We didn't even get into the nexus between certain medical procedures and uh, the subject we've been talking about and how they correlate. And uh, that'd be a great part two. Yeah, I Sounds think good. I think part two uh, will be one that we'll all be looking forward to. So EM, emfguy.com, check that out and uh, go support Nick's work. He's really making a big difference in his book, The Non-Tinfoil Guide to EMFs. Uh, has been praised by many in the chat here. And uh, and also I've heard just great things about it in the past. So uh, grab that. And if you have any loved ones uh, that are thinking this is all a joke, still definitely have them go read that. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for your support. Please share this with your friends and family. Give us a thumbs up. It really, like, it really helps us uh, get this information out. Remember to get outside, get your feet in the ground, uh, go ground, go hug a tree for God's sake. Uh, that stuff works, man. Get your garden going, get it prepped for the fall into the winter. Or if you're in the south of the plain, uh, enjoy the coming <laughs> harvest. And we'll see you next Thursday uh, at uh, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Love you guys. Have a great rest of your day. Cheers. <laughs>